People say the Premier League is impossible to predict, but this podcast is here to help. We're working with InfoGoal to take a look at the numbers for each and every one of the Premier League fixtures this season. If you're looking to find value in the markets, data can be the key. Welcome to Premier League Insights. It is time for another episode of Premier League Insights as we approach game week 15 of the 2020-21 season. With me today is Jake Osgathorpe to inform your predictions with some help from the InfoGoal model. How are you, Jake? Are you, are you ready for Christmas? Yeah, just about as ready as you can be. Not that we can do too much when it comes to Christmas this year, but um, at least we've got the forward to look, uh, the football to look forward to, um, Boxing Day and, and the 27th. So that's a, a silver lining, I guess, to what is probably um one of the worst christmases we'll remember <laughs> that's exactly it. i mean every cloud but yeah plenty of plenty of soccer action to get involved in we might be stuck indoors but there's some good games coming up and obviously we'll be we'll be here today to run through the fixtures and, and find some value for our, our listeners um in terms of looking back to last week and how we got on with our predictions i think both of us went for the the under 2.5 in the Everton Arsenal game, which obviously didn't come in with the 2-1 scoreline. Um, but a, another bit of success for, for InfoGoal, because I think you guys went with the under 2.5 in the Tottenham-Leicester game, whereas Pinnacle went with the the straight Tottenham win. So that that gap is opening up. There's a bit of space <laughs> now between us, so the, the challenge is on. Um, but obviously we're, we're positive and, and thinking ahead to this week in terms of our predictions. The... The highlight game for Pinnacle is Arsenal versus Chelsea. And, and what is it that the info goal have gone with? Yeah, we're going to focus on uh, on Leicester Man United. I think that that's one that stands out on the, this fixture list anyway, given the fact that you've obviously got second v third in the table. And, and these two teams dueled it out on the final day last season to, to make it into the top four. So, um, yeah, it should be an interesting game, that one. Definitely an interesting game. It's actually the, the first one we've got <laughs> to get onto for this week. And... I mean, two of the sides, Leicester and Manchester United, great results for them at the weekend. I think Leicester obviously impressed and pick, picked up what, what was really a, a big away win. And, and what I mean, it looked like a relatively poor Tottenham side, to be honest. Now, I don't know how much of that was Leicester making them look poor, but um, I don't think there can be too many complaints about the final result from Tottenham. Obviously, the, the penalty in there, is, as we come to expect from Leicester, Um <laughs> But Manchester United, I mean, they featured in what was probably the the game of the weekend. It was, I feel like it was a performance that that they kind of needed at home. Um, was it that they beat West Brom? I think that was the only win they had, and they they'd scored something like three goals in in the six home games before that. Um, then Leeds turned up to Old Trafford, and it was all over in, inside twenty minutes, wasn't it? I think it was three 0 after twenty, and that was that was pretty much it. But you rarely get XG figures in a match that sort of reflect such a big scoreline, but this one was pretty close. 4.18 XG for United and 2.07 for Leeds. I mean, it's getting towards that 6-2 that we actually saw. Um, but the results do mean that it's it's Manchester United are now in third and one point off Leicester in second. They do also have that game in hand as well. Um, neither team's process is, is quite at that standard, but, but Leicester have been fairly consistent. Manchester United seem to be improving. So, I mean, it... It really does make for a good game, um, an interesting game, as you said, and the odds are also quite interesting for this one because Manchester United on the road, but they are slight favourites at 2.42. Leicester are 2.99 and the draw is 3.65. So in terms of probabilities, that's 41% uh, win probability for Manchester United, 32% for Leicester and 27% on the draw. 
Um, betters do also look like the look of goals in this. Two point five and three is the over on that is is the popular bet in the market so far. So it's a it's a good one to get us going, Jake. It's the info goal highlight fixture. What do you make of this matchup? Yeah, I think this is a it's a fascinating game. You've got a team in Leicester who've obviously had another flying start to the season, but um, they've really struggled at home so far. They've, they've won just three of the, uh, their seven home games. They've lost four. And Manchester United, away from home, have been uh, on an absolute tear for a long while now. They've won all six away matches, um, posting an expected goal difference of plus 3.8 in that time, which is pretty impressive. And it's up there with um, the best away processes in the league. But that, that winning run actually stretches back further into into last season. I think it's 10 or maybe even 11 away games in a row that they've won in the Premier League, which is um, it's a very rare occurrence, but shows you just how how well suited they are playing on the road. And um, yeah, I think it's going to be it's going to be a tight game, this one. I, I, obviously, you look at that 6-2 and, uh, and the previous 3-2 and you would think that goals are going to be really, really prevalent here. But um, I can't see it with this Leicester team. I think that they're, um, they're, they're smart enough. They can play in quite a few different ways. They're very adaptable. I think they'll be going out there to limit Manchester United as best as they can, just as what they just like what they tried to do at the back end of last season, where I think United ended up running out two 0 winners, but Leicester really didn't threaten, and, and Manchester United um, won quite comfortably on that occasion. So, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see what sort of approach both teams take. Um, Leicester again, similar to Manchester United, have been fantastic on the road, won six out of their seven away games, including that win at Spurs, which was fully deserved, as you'd already mentioned expected goals of 0.98 to 1.9 in their favour. So no qualms about the defeat for Spurs anyway. Um, but yeah, they've, they've struggled in the last few home games. Uh, against Everton, they created just 0.9 expected goals. Um, pre, prior to that, it was uh, Fulham, in which they created 1.5, but lost 2-1, conceding 1.98. Um, Wolves, they did win that game. Um, two penalties in that. I think it was 0.0. 0.3, 0.4 non-penalty expected goals they created in that game and, and then 0.63 expected goals against Aston Villa, 0.59 against West Ham. You, you get the picture. They're not a very um, a free-flowing team at home. They don't create as many good chances at home as they do on the road and I think that's obviously to do with the, um, the style and, and what, they're, what they are best at, which is counter-attacking with the likes of Vardy and Barnes and Madison. So it's going to be interesting, like I said, see what kind of approach Leicester take in particular. But Manchester United... Um, they've been a really good follower away from home this season. Um, their games have seen an average of 4.7 goals um, away from Old Trafford, which is a staggering number. And their expected goal number in their matches is around 3.6 for their away matches this season. So it's quite high. And, and you're seeing chances at both ends. United allowing around 1.5 expected goals against per game, creating 2.1 expected goals for per game. So they, they are a team that, that do like to open up on the road. Uh, we've seen them fall behind in every single Premier League game that they've played away from home this season. So that could potentially be an angle in. Um, whether Leicester to score first, Manchester United to win from behind, something like that maybe. But I'm looking at Leicester's figures and, um, and suggesting that might not be the case at all. 1.25 expected goals for per game is what they're creating at home, which is um, one of the lower totals in the division. Um, defensively, they're not allowing too much though. 1.4 expected goals against per game. So... Yeah, I'm struggling to, to to make my mind up on, on this game, really. I think the the model is siding quite heavily with the under two and a half goals. Um, it's around 2.2, 2.25 on the market. The model's got that closer to 2.05, um, 49% chance. So under 2.5 is a value bet. But um, that price about Manchester United is enticing me in um, for them to get the win. 
yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go for that as as Infragol selection in this in this match. I think the uh, the model's got a s- small value, 42 percent chance of a United win. I think you said that, that there's around a 41 percent chance uh, implied probability of, of the win based on the market prices. So um, it's a small value play, and and given that fantastic away record and that that really solid away process, I'm gonna have to stick with Manchester United to get that win. And it's exactly the same from a pinnacle perspective. <laughs> um, you, you, you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, Leicester's obviously struggles at home, contrasted with Manchester United's impressive um, record on the road. I think both teams are their their kind of results have been a little bit out of line with some of the performances. But I think Manchester United there have shown the signs of both the two teams who are going to sort of keep on progressing and and ultimately kind of stick around in that top four. Whereas Leicester are probably more likely to to drop away so unfortunately it's not as exciting as previous weeks when we're going head to head but we're going to have to go with a Manchester United win on this one as well yeah it, it does still read well based on our model for both of these teams just got the updated simulations in from uh, Mark Taylor and Leicester we're giving them around a, a 53.7% chance of finishing the top six so they are odds on according to the Infocore model to to finish in the top six again this season as for Manchester United, we're giving them, we make them seventy six point five percent chance of finishing the top four. So, um, really, really strong. I think that might still be a value bit actually, um, based on what on what's available. But yeah, we 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 really like Manchester United's chances of finishing the top four, and I, and I have for a while now um, on this podcast. You've heard me talk about maybe could be called making excuses for them early on in the season, but it does look as though they are finding a bit of a groove. Um, the players are back, getting back to some some form of fitness and. Um, and they look to be well in there with a the shout. Like you said, I think they're only four points behind Liverpool with a game in hand. So, um, yeah, any, oh, sorry, five points behind Liverpool with a game in hand. So, uh, title contenders is a little bit of a push. I think we, we've got them around a 9% chance of winning the tro- winning the title. But top four should be um, should be not nailed on, but not too far away. Well, yeah, it's crazy what a, a couple of games can do to the perception of a manager. And I know Manchester United, they're, they're still out of the Champions League. That's not going to change. But yeah, if you, you kind of said to them, you could be when your game in hand are just a couple of points off Liverpool in first place. I mean, I'm sure those calls for Ollie's head would, would probably have quietened down. But um, let's get on to our next game because we've got Aston Villa versus Crystal Palace. And we said about Leicester and Manchester United both having good weekends, kind of contrasting weekends for these two teams. Aston Villa had it pretty easy against West Brom, considering they were they were playing with ten men for most of the game. Um, they got a couple of late goals, and it, it meant that the the kind of scoreline maybe looked a bit tighter or, or a lot easier than than people might have thought. But I mean, you look at the game as a whole, and they they really deserved the the three 0 win. Um, it's pretty much bang on with expected goals from the match as well. So no complaints from from Sam Allardyce in his first game in charge. I think, and I can't remember what the West Brom figure was. It was something like. They have one shot and it was like 0.04 or 0.05 That's right, yeah. or something. Um, it's the lowest total that we've seen so far from any Premier League game this season. Well, if there, if there was going to be a team to do it, I think your money would have been on West Brom, wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah. It could have been worse than that. They could have been Palace because they had the the unfortunate experience of running into, I mean, a, cl- a clinical Liverpool side. Um, there wasn't much an attack from Palace in that game. It was 0.46 expected goals, but... Liverpool, 2.77 expected goals, but 7-0 was the, the final scoreline. Salah coming off the bench with like 30 minutes to go and getting himself two goals and assists. I mean, it just sums up sort of how good they are really, I think. But it's it's going to be another te- tough test for, for Palace as 
Villa are they're flying this season really they're the one that sticks out for me is that loss to West Ham where they were really unfortunate I think if that had gone their way they'd be keeping the pace with the likes of sort of Leicester in second um it's been all yeah. changed for them. they've got two games in hand though exactly yeah um they, I mean they were struggling so much last season they came back after the lockdown and they've just looked like a new team ever since um but Palace are definitely not a new team it's kind of same old same old for them around mid-table they've got a process that suggests that they'll probably safe be safe but but not by much but I think for them they've brought some attacking talent in and it's I don't know whether it's Hodgson or, or whatever it is but it's just difficult to see whether the improvement comes from I think and when you kind of put all of that together and consider everything that, that I've just said it's it's no surprise that that Villa are odds on for a game like this 1.943 is is their price that's 52% chance to win palace at 24% with odds of 3.91 um just a little bit less on the draw i think it's 24 25% as well and sort of similar price 3.93 um you mentioned the two games in hand there jake they've still had a very solid start even with that to to kind of make up do you think that start con- continues and I guess more importantly, is there is there value betting on them at the the current price to continue their good start? Um, there isn't value, but if you'd have said at this point last season that Aston Villa will be playing Crystal Palace and they'd be going off as odds-on favourites, and I would be agreeing with that, then um, I don't think I would have believed you. But yeah, they're, they're fully deserving of this price. Um, I think that that as you said, since lockdown, they've they've really come on leaps and bounds. Dean Smith, I think, deserves a real, real, uh, well, a ton of credit for for sorting that defensive process out that was allowing over two two point four expected goals against per game last season. Um, and they've gone from strength to strength. I think the the transfer business has been excellent in the, in this past summer. They've brought in some really, really good players. Um, obviously, we've not seen a lot of Barkley, but when he has played, he's been excellent. Ollie Watkins looks like um, a ready-made Premier League striker. Bertrand Traore looks uh, looks like an absolute bargain of a buy um, from from Leon. The, the way he took his goal the other day was fantastic, and I think we'll start to see a little bit more of him. And, and obviously, Jack Grealish is playing at a very very high level this season, um, and he's helped by the fact that he's got now got better players around him. So. Yeah, they, they, they've really improved. Oh, I can't forget the goalkeeper as well, Emi Martinez, who's who's come in and, and made a real difference back there as well. So, um, yeah, all, all round, it's just been really positive for Villa. And their underlying process is absolutely fantastic over the course of the season so far. They've averaged 2.01 expected goals for per game and allowed just 1.11 expected goals against per game. That is um, That is an underlying process we would expect from a team that finishes in the top four. So, just kind of shows you what, what arc they're currently on. Um, that they are trending in that direction, that they could potentially challenge for a top six spot. And if they did finish in the top six or maybe seventh and, and nick Europa League spot, it wouldn't be a surprise at all to to Infogol based on the fact that the the process that they're putting up is is so so good. Um, they have had some struggles at home though, which is my only issue with them in this game. They've only won two out of the six home games this season. Um, I think that, that they got beat by Brighton, who are obviously. A team that we we like based on expected goals, but they are a team that are massively struggling at the wrong end of the table. Uh, they drew with Burnley as well at home, um, which is you know I think we're again Burnley are a team that are always underestimated um, by the market, but still you know they created enough chances in that game to win it. Um, they got beat by Leeds quite heavily and, and Southampton as well, so the the home form's a little bit sketchy, which is my only um, well only thing putting me off back in Villa. Um, at, at this kind of price, like I said, the market's got it pretty much spot on according to the Infocom model in terms of the pricing. So um, there isn't value there, but it's just worth pointing out that based on 
non-penalty big chances created and conceded. Aston Villa have the best differential in, in the Premier League. They've created 22 non-penalty big chances so far this season in, I think, 12 games. They've played a couple of games fewer than everyone else. And they've conceded just five non-penalty big chances, which is uh, a staggeringly low number. Um, the next best is Manchester City with eight. So their big chance differential of plus 17 is by far and away the best in the Premier League. And, and just, again, just highlights just how good this Villa team is um, and that their ceiling is actually probably quite high, um, especially given that most of the players in that squad now are, are quite young or in that starting eleven anyway. As for Crystal Palace, it's, um, yeah, it's sort of one step forward and two steps back. Uh, you know, they, they absolutely hammer West Brom. They score five times for the first time in uh, in their Premier League history. Uh, then they get a good draw against Tottenham, a decent draw at West Ham, and then get absolutely spanked by Liverpool. So, um, you know, it's it must be frustrating being a Palace fan, seeing the likes of Aston Villa, for example, who barely survived relegation last season, but who have kicked on and, and are looking like a really strong team in the Premier League this season. Um, yet Crystal Palace just keep meandering between uh, 12th and 15th every season and, and just sort of doing enough to stay up, but not enough to potentially threaten any higher than that. That's exactly what's going to happen this season. The underlying process suggests that's exactly the, the case. 1.2 expected goals for per game, 1.58 expected goals against. So they're going to finish in the bottom half. Um, they have started trying to attack a little bit more, which you've got to give them a little bit of credit for especially in those matches that I mentioned against West Ham, Spurs and West Brom. They did create the better of the chances in, in all three of those games. But prior to that, they, they drew blanks against Burnley and, and Newcastle and obviously against Liverpool as well. They really struggled. So the angle I'm going to take in this one is, is backing both teams to score no. Um, may come as a surprise given um, you know that Crystal Palace are trying to play a bit more on the front foot. But as I've just mentioned, Villa have been the best defensive team in the league according to non-penalty big chances conceded. And um, I think only only Chelsea have conceded fewer expected goals um, than them this season. So we've got really, really um, strong backline now. Have Villa. They've kept four clean sheets in the last six matches. So I won't be surprised to see them win this to nil. That's probably a little bit of an outside bet for anyone who wants a bigger price. But yeah, both teams to score no is, is a small value play. The market's around 43% chance of that happening. Uh, models at 46%. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be a cracking game, but um, I do think that, that Villa might just sneak a win. We'll move on to our next game then, and we got Fulham versus Southampton. Um, and for this one, I think probably a lot, we've had a lot of, well, the, the similarities between Manchester United and Leicester. We then had the, the contrast between Villa and Palace, and this one's probably... They're both in the similar camp because they're going to be kicking themselves for for not really getting more out of their games despite having different results. Um, the the XG for Fulham's match against Newcastle will say a, a draw was the fair result. And although they didn't really create much, if they didn't give away that penalty late on, then the win was was really there for the taking. As for Southampton, they've they've kind of done well throughout the season. The the process not quite in line with the results and a little bit fortunate, but they they managed to to limit Manchester City to just one expected goal. Now, we know that isn't quite the feat that, that maybe it once was, but it, it's still pretty good going. And Fulham, they didn't really create much themselves, but whenever a game's that close, you're going to be annoyed that you, you didn't get anything out. Um, Southampton are the, the better of the two teams. They, they find themselves much more than the but, Fulham are improving. Scott Parker, things certainly look a lot better now than they did four or five games ago. 
Uh, the odds do still suggest that Southampton are, are the clear favourites here. They have a 42% win probability with their odds of 2.37. Um, Fulham are, are on 30% chance of a win because they're priced at 3.25. And you can get the draw. It's around the same mark, 28% with odds of 3.41. So a bit lucky Southampton this season, but they're, they're kind of up there in the table. Do you think they're their good form and that position sticks or do you think Fulham can continue to progress and, and challenge Southampton in this one? Yeah, I'm finding this one difficult to call because as you've said, Fulham, well, Southampton are in a bit of a false position at the moment. They sit seventh in uh, in the table, but they've got a, a minus 1.2 expected goal difference, which puts them um, in the bottom half of our expected goal difference table, which is sort of the level that they're at. They've just been extremely clinical with their chances this season. Um, to a level that is, you know, going to be unsustainable over the course of that of, of this full season. They've scored 25 goals from chances equating to 16.9 expected goals. Um, so you know they, they've seen a massive overperformance in terms of goals scored, and that's been the difference. They're, all of their matches have been extremely tight this season, based on uh, on the chances created by both teams, and they've been on the uh, they've been the beneficiaries more often than not in those close games um, to get three points as opposed to just settling for draws. Or losing them, which um, so yeah, the, the game, the defeat to Man City was coming in that sense. That was another game that was very tightly contested. Both teams created a similar amount of, uh, of quality chances, but Southampton on that occasion fell on the wrong side of the result. And I think that we could well see a little bit more of that for Southampton in, in the weeks to come. Um, you know, they'll, they'll win a couple of games and they'll lose a couple of games, and I think they'll slowly fall away from that. <clears throat> you know, the top six, it's seventh at the moment. Manchester City are a team below them. Aston Villa have got a couple of games in hand on them. So you could see those two teams jump up um, above Southampton. So, yeah, they're, they're, they're an interesting team to watch. I think Danny Ings might also be out for this, which is a huge blow for them. He's he's one of their, their obviously, more clinical finishers um, this season. He's scored six goals from four and a half expected goals. But James Ward-Prowse is their biggest over performer, which won't come as a big surprise, given that he's scored uh, most of his goals from three kicks, four goals from 0.99 expected goals. So don't expect him to keep putting three kicks in the top bin. Um, yeah, as for Fulham, they're a team that, that Infogol didn't like at the start of the season. Um, we didn't like after about six or seven matches, but recently they have been improving and um, and they, they are deserving of a little bit of love. They, Scott Parker, I think, has done a decent job there um, in terms of making them a much more competitive team. Um, and giving them a little bit more hope of, of potentially staying up. They're unbeaten in the last three matches. They've drawn all three of those, obviously. But in there, they've, they've drew with Liverpool. Um, they were the better team against Brighton, created the better of the chances. And like you said, against Newcastle, barring that penalty, um, they were the better team again. So they are trending in a, in a really good direction, our Fulham, uh, although we still make them odds on to go down this season. Um, and this is a decent opportunity for them, I think, to, to get a, another... Uh, to get potentially get another win on the board. Southampton obviously playing in that high press. Fulham are, are a very energetic team now, now that they've shifted um, to a, a back three with, um, you know, that midfield partnership of Lamina and Anguissa looking um, a real handful. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Fulham potentially tie a Southampton out, which would be, um, you know, if you'd have said that a couple of weeks ago, it would have been a surprise. But um, they play with such energy and such power at the moment, Fulham, that, that I think that they could steamroll through this Southampton team and get something from the game. So I think Southampton are priced up fairly accurately, around 42% chance of winning on the model. Um, 
but yeah, the, the model thinks there's a small bit of value in back in Fulham. Uh, we're giving them a 32% chance of winning. Market's around 29, 28%. So um, while it is a, a long shot and an outside bet, it is a small value. Um, so I will just flag that up for anyone who is interested in, in backing a 1x2. Um, but a bet that I like is, is both teams to score in this. I think it, it's a fairly short, shortish price, around 1.75. But um, given the way both teams have been playing, they've both been conceding a couple of decent chances a game. They've both been creating a couple of decent chances a game. I see this being quite open. So both teams to score as well go. But with a tentative suggestion um, to maybe get Fulham on side. All right, well, next up, we've got Pinnacle's highlight game in Arsenal versus Chelsea. And Arsenal are pushing 3-1 to one at home here. 3.95, um, just under a 25% chance of the win. Chelsea are odds on at 1.961, which gives them a 51% chance of victory. And the draw is just over 25% at 3.84. Um, the goals market in this one is also pitched at 2.5. And the, the market does like the over at the moment. I think Arsenal were, are now going into sort of every fixture thinking that it, it can't get much worse and then it certainly <laughs> does. Um, I think there are some positives from the the Everton game. Um, firstly, they kept 10 men on the pitch, which is obviously a good start for them. Um, no, in all seriousness, I mean, it was a pretty poor game from both sides. There was only one big chance in the match and that was Pepe's penalty. Um, Everton scored from two fairly low probability chances and they, they got the win, but... The worry for Arsenal is that, I mean, when you watch the games, for me, there just doesn't seem to be sort of any any impetus or, or energy or creativity and something that against Everton, they just couldn't really take the game to them apart from the sort of last four or five minutes. Um, 15th in the table, four points off the relegation zone. Um, they've only scored, I think, more than one goal in once this season. Um, they're now playing Chelsea, who are, are going to have a bit of confidence after bouncing back with a, a big win against West Ham on Monday night. Um, that that bumped Chelsea back up to fifth in the table. They're, they're two points off Leicester in second, obviously a fair bit away off, off Liverpool now. But the XG figures for them suggest it was a comfortable win and a bit of unbiased opinion here. But another one where you watch the game, it kind of felt like West Ham could have easily got themselves back into it. If they were a team with a little bit more cutting edge, um, they, they probably would have. But probably good enough for Chelsea they're playing a similar team in terms of a lack of cutting edge in in Arsenal and the prices on them they're just getting bigger and bigger the the market maybe is beginning to wake up to to how poor they've been and, and what needs to change there but does that mean that there's there's still value in Chelsea here do you think Jake or, or do you finally think that we've got a, a fair price on Arsenal what do you make of the odds um they're in line with pretty much what we're expecting. Um, we've got Chelsea's just slight odds against on the model. So um, odds on is maybe a little bit too far and not, not quite value in our eyes. But yeah, you've seen Arsenal trend in that sort of direction where they're getting bigger and bigger. But um, I was quite surprised to see that, that Everton actually drifted for that game last week. They, I think it went off about 2.8 um, from around 2.5 in earlier on in the day so there was a lot of money for Arsenal um on that occasion and could be well be the, the case that that happens um people thinking that at some point Arsenal's look will turn and they'll get a, they'll get a win but um unfortunately I can't see that happening anytime soon the it's not down to luck that they're losing these matches they're they're just not very good um been banging on banging that drum for well ever since we started this podcast I know 
Arsenal fans are probably turned off by now <laughs> listening to us talk about Arsenal. But um, you know, it's been it's been coming. This this kind of result run of results has been coming. The underlying numbers don't lie. They catch up with you eventually. And, and at the back end of last season, Mikel Arteta's team were massively overperforming and, and getting everyone's hopes up effectively. And uh, uh, and they've basically fallen flat flat on the face because you know they couldn't. It, the, the way in which they were finishing the chances was completely unsustainable. Um, and the way in which they were keeping the chances out of the back end of last season was also unsustainable. So you're starting to see a little bit of regression and, and they're now getting the results in, that the performances deserve. And um, unfortunately for Arsenal fans, that's going to mean uh, that you're going to be nervously looking at the fixture list to see where your next win's coming from. Because, you know, after Chelsea, they play Brighton um, at the Amex and Arsenal don't have a very good record at Brighton. Brighton are a fantastic team that we obviously like quite quite a lot um, and that could end up being a relegation six-pointer <laughs> early on in this season because you know I mean we're obviously we I'm, I'm joking because we've obviously got um, and we I can tell you how what percentage chance we've got of Arsenal going down 1.1% chance of, of of going down this season Arsenal so you are, I am telling you there is a chance um, but yeah if they lose this game against Chelsea and, and then lose to Brighton and Burnley get some points, and maybe Fulham get some points. All of a sudden, you could have a re- it's a realistic possibility that Arsenal could be in the bottom three come New Year. Which, um, at, you know, at some point the trigger is going to be pulled, and Mikel Arteta is going to lose his job. So, um, yeah, it, it's a difficult moment this for Arsenal. And, and the last thing that they want really is is another team um, that are really really strong. Um, you know, you talk about Everton, and, and while they might not have the attacking quality of Chelsea, they are a strong team when it comes to. Uh, the spine, the defensive structure, um, and you know we we have seen a lot this season that Chelsea are more than capable of shutting down their opponents. Um, you know, we saw it most recently, I think, against Manchester United, where they went to Old Trafford and, and just shut up shop and got a nil-nil draw. Um, we saw it against Tottenham as well, <coughs> where they were very wary of what Spurs offered on the counter attack and just sort of cautiously played through that game. And I think that. Frank Lampard is smart enough to to see that Arsenal do struggle when the impetus is on them to try and create chances. So there is a potentially an opportunity there for Chelsea to play on the counter-attack, which would suit the likes of Timo Werner and potentially Christian Pulisic. Um, uh, but I think if the, if the game's played on the other foot and, and it's Arsenal sitting back, then that also suits them um, because we have seen that, that their, their better results have come when playing on the counter-attack. So... It's an interesting tactical battle. I will. I think personally, I would wait to, to have a bet on this game until I've te- seen the team news. So, um, yeah, something to bear in mind there for for punters. But yeah, it, everything in terms of the underlying numbers, in terms of the trends, in terms of the uh, the players that are available, everything points towards um, a Chelsea win. You know, their ex- their expected goal figures are fantastic again this season. They've got the best defensive process in the league, allowing just 0.9 expected goals against per game. Um, and going forward, they're, they're racking up around 1.9 expected goals for per game. So they are, again, performing like a, a solid top four team. Um, and I, I, I can't put anyone off backing them, really. Although I don't think it's a value price. I think that they, they will probably come out with, a, with the three points. So I'm going to turn my attentions elsewhere. And um, yeah, that... Probably, I'm going to go for a both teams to score no in this one, as, as in for goal selection. I think Arsenal's attacking struggles are well documented. They don't take a lot of um, don't take a lot of shots and create a lot of decent chances, um, and they always result resorts to crossing the ball, which I think is something that Chelsea are very strong on now. Anyway, with with Mendy in, in there and coming out and punching balls with Thiago Silva and Kurt Zuma, who are who are really dominant headers of football. So both teams to score no. 
it's a, it's a decent enough price. Um, I think the Infocom model prices it up at around 2.08. So I think you're getting around 2.15. Um, so it's a small value play. But given the, the trends and the fact that we have seen Chelsea play um, or tighten up a little bit defensively this season, um, and Arsenal really struggling, it's the only way I can go for a value bet in this. Well, you said you wouldn't put anyone off siding with Chelsea, and, and that's exactly what Pinnacle's done. Gone uh, straight win on Chelsea for our prediction in this highlight game. Outside of that, though, I'd be interested. I think you mentioned there's sort of one point something percent that the Arsenal do get relegated. I think the the betting markets for those relegation candidates have have kind of bought in maybe too much to the the <laughs> demise of Arsenal with some of the prices that are up there. But how bad? are things in terms of where they go from here to the rest for the rest of the season do they do you think they stick with Arteta do they is is sort of top half of the table realistic achievable what, what do you make of it um well i think the is um you know the the the, the the catastrophic fall if you like is is what's happened this season because at the start of the campaign Everyone were, was was tipping Arsenal up for a top four finish and a top six finish, and, and thinking that they were back and that they were going to compete. Um, we were always of the mindset that they would probably finish around eighth. Um, that's looking increasingly unlikely now. Uh, they've got a seven point gap to the top top ten, um, and their process is far inferior to most of the teams in there. So we're actually of the mindset that that Arsenal to finish in the bottom half is more likely than not. We're giving them a a sixty three percent chance of finishing the bottom half this season, which is, um, you know, sort of speaks volumes really to to how far they've fallen. Because even under the likes of uh, Unai Emery, they weren't performing at this kind of level, and they were they were always up and around that that top six, top seven. And uh, you know, you go even further back to Arsene Wenger, and um, you know, he was delivering top four finishes pretty much every season, but the fans didn't think that was good enough. And um, I guess you're getting a similar, it's a similar vibe, in my opinion, to, to the likes of Tony Pulis at Stoke. Um, and, you know, be careful what you wish for kind of vibe. Um, you know, you, you've voiced your opinions. You've got the manager who's been there for 20 years out of a job and now it's all fallen apart and you're trying to find other people to blame. But ultimately, Arsenal were quite happy with Arsene Wenger being in charge, competing for the top four playing in a manner that was attractive football, creating chances, um, and also posting underlying numbers that suggested that they could break into that top four again pretty much every year. Whereas now, it's it's really dire to watch. It's so static and um, and sort of organised. It's not off the cuff. You know, you, you always think of Arsenal being uh, a team that, that, that are built around the flair players and, and you know, just let, making things happen in the final third. Whereas this Arsenal team now is so regimented in, in what they're doing. It is boring to watch and, uh, and you know, they're not yielding the results that that, that pragmatism perhaps, um, you know, needs if it's to persist. So, yeah, it, it's a dire situation. And like I said, if they lose to Chelsea and then lose to Brighton, there's every chance they could be in the bottom three. And, at, you know, at which point you would have to start looking at, um, at Mikel Arteta and, and saying that his job's on the line because ultimately... Unai Emery had pretty much the same group of players, um, and he had he got them finishing in the top six back to back. Uh, well, sorry, in his first season he got them finishing in the top six, and then uh, when he got sacked, I think they were only I don't know, about eleven or twelve from the table. Um, so yeah, it, it's a fall from grace, um, and I think it will ultimately cost Arteta his job unless unless something drastically changes in the underlying process um, to make me think otherwise. 
Well, it's interesting you you kind of drew the comparison there to Tony Pulis because I think InfoGoals Mark Taylor actually put something out in terms of their their rolling XG and where they're at, and it it kind of pitched Arsenal around sort of Stoke City's tenure in the Premier League, which is I don't know who that who that's worse news for Stoke fans or Arsenal fans, but we uh, we won't dwell on it. We'll move on to our next game because it's we've got Manchester City versus Newcastle. Um, another game, another subpar attacking performance for Manchester City. Um, against Southampton, we mentioned earlier, it was just the one expected goals. They still continue to impress at the back, though. But it's um, it's another clean sheet, I guess, for them. And it kind of whether it's a shift in in their philosophy or how they want to play, I'm not quite sure. We we talked a little bit last week about whether Guardiola is being sensible, being conservative, knowing that it's going to be a long slog this season. But the the drop off in attack is really quite something. I think I was kind of digging around on the InfoGoal website earlier and and looked at some stats for Manchester City in, in terms of comparisons to, to previous seasons. Um, it's 19 goals scored from 23 expected goals this season from their 13 games. Um, they're two figures that, that when you look back to 2019-20 and 2018-19, they'd surpassed that within seven or eight games. In 2018-19, they actually scored more than double um, the number of goals they've got at this point in the season from from 36.5 expected goals. So it's a, it is a pretty hefty drop-off for them. Um, as for Newcastle, I think we we mentioned, said they were a little bit fortunate to get back into the game against Fulham with that late penalty. And it feels like we're seeing a lot of similarities from, from Steve Bruce's side that we saw last campaign, sort of hovering around mid-table, had a few things go their way, can, can consider themselves lucky to to not be further down the table and they're, they're probably going to be safe but they're one of those ones where you're always kind of expecting them to just have a bit of a dip and sort of drop down um into the the relegation contenders but whether that actually happens we'll have to wait and see but the odds do suggest that they're they're incredibly unlikely to to get anything out of this game um odds of the the draw is 9.15 um, the Newcastle win is 22.34 and they combine for a, a 14% chance of Newcastle actually avoiding defeat. It's, it's 10% for the draw and 4% for the win. That then means that Manchester City get the 86% win probability that's left over. Um, their odds are 1.143. Um, we normally see people as well flock to the goals market for City and it seems that people are probably accepting this new style or, or whatever it is that's leading to less goals because it's the the under 3.5 that's seeing the most action in this one. So what do you think here, Jake? Is it is it more of the same for City this season, a comfortable sort of 1-2-0 win or, or is there any chance that they're they're going to turn things over and sort of blast out that, that attacking style that we've seen in previous seasons? Uh, I can't see it personally. I think the people that are betting on the under three and a half are, are very smart. I think that's the way to go in this one. It was the way to go last week against West Brom, um, in which they, again, struggled to create many chances up until that that late onslaught. Uh, I, think, I think about 1.8 of their expected goals came in the last five or six minutes. So, um, yeah, they, they've, they've been a frustrating watch. I mean, you can see... But they've they've still got the, obviously quality players in the ranks and um, players that can win games, you know, by themselves if they want to. But overall, the process has been um, really underwhelming. Not one point seven seven expected goals for per game, which is um, around zero point nine worse than uh, last season. So you've seen a, a massive drop off, and I just wonder if if he's trying to copy Jurgen Klopp and, and Liverpool and just try and be a bit more efficient in the way that they win these matches. Um, 
you know, get ahead and then sort of coast as opposed to <clears throat> going for the jugular and uh, winning five or six nil. But, um, you know, at some point, if these goal lines start coming down, as, as I think that they will continue to do, Manchester City's price to win the matches will actually um, start to increase as well because there's, as the goal line comes down, the, the draw comes into play a little bit more. So um, at some point, I think that Manchester City are going to have to change the tactic and, and be a little bit more attack-minded just because they're going to have too many draws in this in this schedule um, this season. And draws, I don't think, will keep them in touching distance of Liverpool, who, in my opinion, will will likely run away with it again this time around. So um, it's a pretty big game for Man City, this one. I think the the fact that they beat Southampton was was, was a big win. But, um, but this is equally as big, just again, it's another team that, that have the potential to really frustrate and... Um, I think they, they've got a decent record uh, recently against Manchester City and Newcastle. I think the last they've only lost one of the last three league meetings. So um, yeah, they're they're a team that that play in a very similar manner to West Brom. They'll sit back, sit deep, try to frustrate Manchester City, um, and you know they'll allow a lot of chances. And the XG will be probably fairly high come the end of the day. But uh, they'll somehow find a way to grind out a draw or something, or, or lose by a a single goal. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's same same old stuff for, for Newcastle compared to last season. Anyway, the the process is pretty much identical. They'll finish in around that bottom half of the table, similar to Crystal Palace. Twelfth and fifteenth is probably where they'll finish in, in around there. Um, yeah, it it, it really um, a low scoring Manchester City win is, is the way out, is the only way to go in this one, um, in my opinion. I think. Again, like I said at the start, under three and a half is is the value play. Um, we're giving around a 54, 55% chance of under 3.5 goals. So, um, yeah, the price you're getting of around 1.88, 1.9, around under 3.5 is is a is a you know a, a value price and um, something I definitely recommend. And if 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 there's a possibility of doubling up Manchester City in under three and a half, it might take it just marginally up to about 1.95 or maybe even money. Um, then I would also look at that as well. Right, well, we'll get on to Sheffield United versus Everton. And I mean, I've got to tell you, I do, I feel bad for Sheffield United. I think they, they probably felt like they'd finally got their season going. Um, even though they, they managed to do it with 10 men, they were one up with sort of five, 10 minutes left on the clock against Brighton. Um, and then obviously Danny Welbeck popped up with an equaliser. And I guess when you, when you do look at the game as a whole, I think Chris Wilder will he'll have to take the draw. Um, lucky not to lose, really. I think they, they, they gave up over three expected goals. They created just 0.52 themselves. But when you're rock bottom, you're 1-0 up with sort of five minutes left and you, you've slogged it out with 10 men, then it's got to be a hard one to take. Um, with Everton, we we had title talk after four games with them, then slightly more realistic Champions League talk after about six games. It was back down to Europa League and maybe even just sort of sticking in the top half after 10 games. They now bounce back and they won three, three in a row, um, put themselves back in sort of top four contention, shall we say, um, more so because they were big wins against the likes of Chelsea and Leicester as well. So I guess it, it kind of shows to some people that they, they should be in that conversation. I think you and I and, and people that maybe look at things in a little bit more detail will know that the process isn't quite there for them. Um, and it does suggest that, that maybe another decline wouldn't be the biggest surprise in the world. Um, but it's, it's, if it is to come, it's probably going to come after a fixture like this because Sheffield United, they really are struggling at both ends of the pitch. They've got third worst XG4 per game figures at 1.1. 1. 1. 
Um, they've got the third worst expected goals against figures per game at 1.9. We might not see Derby County to 2007-08 levels, but it's it's looking really bad at the moment. And whether it gets quite that bad, I, I really don't know. But people will expect Everton to be a short price. Um, but I think it's it's probably a little bit shorter than maybe it should be for, for me. Maybe people buying into that recent form. Um, they're currently 1.847, so that equates to a 54-55% win probability for them. Sheffield United have a 21% chance of getting their first win this season with odds of 4.38, and you can get 3.95 on the draw, which is around a 25% chance. So are people buying in too much to, to Everton sort of turn around in form, Jake? How do you how do you think the odds compare to the InfoGoal model? Yeah, the, the, the InfoCon model thinks that this price about Everton is way too short. Um, we make them 42% chance, so our odds against. So the, again, yeah, the odds on quotes are just way too short for this Everton team. And um, yeah, while, while they have obviously improved drastically since that very, very strange run of form, um, you know, their, their results have been really strong against three good teams. It'd be interesting to see how they deal with a team that perhaps isn't as good as those three. Um, although having said that, Arsenal are in there as well, so... Um, yeah, Chelsea and Leicester in particular were two teams that went up and played on the front foot against Everton and Everton uh, playing that that four centre-halves um, at the back really did deal with them both very, very well uh, and allow the attacking players to counter-attack. And, and it was pretty much the same story against Arsenal, really. Um, they just sat back, they got a lead, then they got pegged back, then they got the lead again. And then the whole second half was literally just, um, you know, come and break us down, Arsenal. And... Um, yeah, I think it'd be interesting to see how they deal with the Sheffield United team that will perhaps sit back a little bit more than those three teams. And I know the predicament that they're in, they need wins to do Sheffield United, um, but they'll they'll be fully fully aware of the, the counter-attacking threats that Everton will um, will pose. And, you know, their performances in the last couple of games have, have definitely given, um, you know, a little room for hope. I know that the the XG total against Brighton was uh, was you know staggering really three point zero one to zero point five two, but pretty much eighty percent of Brighton's expected goals was created after the sending off and in the last ten minutes of the match. So um, it was black backs against the wall for Sheffield United, and it was only a very late equaliser that cost them um, you know all three points in their first win of the season. But prior to that, they, they played a really good game against Manchester United. Obviously, they were wide open in that match from a defensive standpoint, but there were. A few uh, green shoots of, of you know decent attacking play in there. That, that is something that uh, they had struggled with for long stretches of this season. So um, yeah, while it does look extremely unlikely that they're going to be able to pull themselves out of the mire, it is worth pointing out that they're only ten points from safety. Um, which at this stage of the season, with you know a long way to go still, um, what is it, twenty-four games left to play, it is not that you know it's not that much and. We've seen Burnley put a little run together. Um, they, their last five or six matches, Burnley, they've played like the uh, like a top 10 team, which is ironically where they finished last season. Um, so if Sheffield United can find a similar little mini run of form, then there's every chance that they could also pull themselves, not exactly out of it, but um, at least give themselves a fighting chance going down the home stretch. So I'm not yet ruling them out. Um, the Infocore model thinks it is a long shot. We're giving them... 67% sorry 76% chance of being relegated this season um West Brom are at 90% they're our favorites to go down um which is understandable given their shocking process but Sheffield United while it is a long shot that they'll stay up um are under 25% chance of surviving 
it is possible and um, they could do with a, a win at some point. And this mini Christmas period is a good chance for them to maybe put a run of results together. Um, although they, a few injuries again last time out, which is, is a huge worry for Chris Wilder's team. But yeah, in the 1x2, there's there's no value in backing Everton. The, the value is with getting Sheffield United on side. Do that maybe plus one and you get that that um, little security blanket of if they lose by one goal, you, you get your stake back. Um, or if you want it to be a bit braver and go plus 0.5 uh, on the Asian handicap, that they would avoid defeat. That was probably, a, um, again, around even money of value play. In terms of the goal line, probably unsurprising that, that we're looking at the unders um, with you know quite a, um, a, a chunky value bet. 60% chance of under 2.5 goals at Bramall Lane. You know, they had the 3-2 against Man United and the, the 2-1 against Leicester. But this is an Everton team that aren't really creating that many good chances at the moment. They're missing... Key attacking players, Seamus Coleman, Luca Dina, James Rodriguez, um, to name a few. So, you know, th- there is a, absolutely a chance that this could be a very low-scoring game, which again brings the, the Sheffield United or the draw aspect into it. Um, so that's where I go for my best bet in this one is under 2.5. I think you, you can back it around f- 1.8, maybe 52% chance. The model suggests it should be around 60% chance, which is around the price of 1.67. So you've got a decent chunk of value there for under 2.5. Um, and yeah, I can't see this one being a really high scoring game given the two teams that are taking the field. Yeah, not much room for for sentiment on this podcast, but I do sort of hope that, that Sheffield United managed to put some kind of run together or make things at least a little bit interesting, exciting down the bottom there. Um, but we'll, we'll get on to our next game. We've got Leeds versus Burnley and... I wonder if there's a team in the league that you'd be better off blind back in than, than Burnley because, and, and I think you've mentioned this quite a few times, Jake, that they continue to be a fairly hefty price and they've obviously put a little bit of a run together recently and, and anyone that's bet, betting on them or, as you've quoted often, the, the value that's there on offer and people have taken that, then it's it's going to see some sizable returns. It's another one here where the market doesn't fancy them as well. They're, they're 4.83, which is a 19% chance of getting the win. Leeds are the, the home favourites, 1.746, so a 58% chance for them to bounce back from that 6-2 loss to Manchester United. And I think there's been a lot of talk about Leeds' style, especially sort of focused on after that Manchester United one because it was really evidenced in that and... I think Gary Neville said he, he can't see anything wrong with it or he struggles to find the negatives. But for me, it's quite the contrast to some of the performances we saw in the championship in terms of defensive stuff. They they looked fairly, or they could at least sort of pivot and be sort of more rigid at times. Um, something that Burnley have, have kind of got a lot of plaudits for in the past. And I mentioned just a second ago that, that they've come into a bit of form. But in addition to that defensive sturdiness, they've needed a little bit of attacking Naus as well, which they've got after their, their bigger players came back. It's it's now three wins, two draws, and just the loss to, to Manchester City in their last six games. And that's, I mean, it's pretty good going. We we talked about their relegation price at the start of the season, how both of us couldn't really see sense in it. It then obviously shortened up quite a bit after a few games. <laughs> I was beginning to worry that we might be made to look a little bit silly, but obviously now we can see why there was, there was never really any worry for them. Um, I think Leeds, you'd probably pitch them around a similar calibre as as opponent as as Wolves were for Burnley, and they just beat them two one. That's obviously without the likes of Raúl Jiménez and and stuff like that, and and Wolves in a little bit of de- decline compared to the last couple of seasons. But 
what do you think here, Jake? It's is it another one where the market's underestimating Burnley and, and perhaps buying too much into Leeds? What do you think? Yeah, Burnley have been massively underestimated again, and that, that's only good news for us, really. Um, five of the last six games they've been underestimated by the market, and we've profited on all five. Um, yeah, it is it's baffling, really. And, and I keep saying, I think it's just that they're not a very fashionable team to back, uh, Burnley. Leeds are completely the opposite. They're a very attractive team to back. They play which with, you know, really really expansive kind uh, type of football. And like you just made the the you know the, the comparison there to the championship. And I just think the difference really is the fact that the qualities of the individual players is is far greater in the Premier League than the Championship. And that's why defensively they've not looked as solid is because they play in such a one v one manner all over the pitch. That when you come up against the likes of Chelsea and Manchester United, who've got better individuals than than Leeds have, they they take full advantage and spaces are there to be exploited. And Manchester United did that really, really emphatically against uh, at the weekend, racking up four point one eight expected goals, and that that came only uh, three weeks or three games after they they, racked, they, they conceded four point six six expected goals at Chelsea. So um, you're seeing a little bit of a trend there that against the better teams. They concede a lot of good chances. And, and again, I, I just think that's just because the chances that they take um, leads in terms of the, the high press, the um, the 1v1 situations, the man-to-man marking all over the pitch. It just really doesn't... Um, it doesn't It's not really going to get results against those better teams. And I think it was Liverpool at the start of the season. They, they lost that game 4-3, but Liverpool racked up around 3.6 expected goals. So when it comes to those better teams, they do struggle. However, um, against the lesser teams, they have... Um, you know, it's where they've they've got their wins really this season, um, which spells a little bit of trouble for Burnley in this. I think, um, although they have improved defensively, I would I would say that all of fi- all five of the games that they played have been against teams that perhaps sit back a little bit more um, in every other match this season, as opposed to playing on the front foot, which suits Burnley. So it'd be, it is complete contrasting styles this match. Um, you know, a Burnley team that are happy to sit back and soak up pressure and then try and counter look for a set piece to score um, versus a team in Leeds that that really are just, um, you know, the most gung-ho team I think we've ever seen in the Premier League. So, um, yeah, it, it's going to be it's going to be a fascinating game to watch. I think I will be tuning in to watch this one. I think it's going to be a really interesting match just to see how these two two styles, um, you know, sort of clash and, and what the result and the outcome is. Um, but, yeah, given the fact that Leeds in particular defensively look really shaky on a game-to-game basis. I mean, only West Brom have allowed more expected goals and leads this season, which is I just found staggering. 29.2 expected goals um, against in 14 games, so an average of over two expected goals against per game, which usually would see a team in and around the relegation battle and, and maybe in with a shout of being relegated. But, you know, they, they've created 25.7 expected goals, um, which is 10 more than the likes of Sheffield United. It's three times as much as what West Brom have managed, um, nearly three times as much anyway. And, and you know, 10, t- uh, 10 more than what Palace and um, eight more than what Fulham have managed. So you can see that there's, while they are defensively more vulnerable um, based on expected goals than those kinds of teams, their attacking process is what's going to keep them up this season. Um, it should be interesting to see if they can create at a similar level here against a Burnley team that have really um, you know tightened up defensively since they've got key players back, as you mentioned. You know, they've, they've, they've been missing... Um, players at the back, they've been missing players in central midfield, they've been missing players up front. Um, just as he thought he got a fully fit squad, um, it looks as though Dwight McNeil and Robbie Brady might have uh, picked up knocks um, in that Wolves game, which is, again, a little bit of a blow because they're two of their creative outlets down the, down the wings. So 
But yeah, based on these prices, um, you know, it's more of a value player than anything. Just get Burnley on side again. The two bigger price, um, you know, just for some comparison prices. They went off at uh, just over three to one at home to Everton. Got a one-one draw. They went off at um, what was it seven point five at Arsenal and, and got a win away at Villa. They were nearly four to one and got a draw. Um, and at home to Wolves, they were around what was it five to two um, and got a win. So you know they they are big prices regularly. Don't let that put you off. They are a team that always overperform the prices and um, and that's because they're underestimated by the market. So. Burnley to get a to get a, a win or a draw is is the value play, and, and also I'd be looking at the unders, um, which you have to when Burnley are involved. This is going to be an attack versus defence um, kind of game, and, it, and if Leeds do score early, then obviously you know the unders is going to go out the window quite quickly. But if Burnley can keep it tight up until about sixty minutes, your under two and a half bet is going to be looking fantastic. So a low scoring game in which Burnley gets something is is the value play. So next up, we've got West Ham versus Brighton and David Moyes getting himself a lot of plaudits this season for the work he's done at West Ham and they improved at the tail end of last season. They they certainly look more solid at the back and I mean, a lot solid than they have in quite some time, I think I can I can speak to that as a West Ham fan. But they're, they're also actually managing to cause some problems for their opponents going forward as well, which is where they sort of dropped off last season and, and kind of into the season before that as well. They'll, they'll, they'll be disappointed with the final result against Chelsea. And you look at the XG figures, they did give up a few chances in the end. But again, one of those ones that you watch, and I kind of alluded to it earlier, there was a, there was a prolonged period where they, they looked like they were just going to get back into the game. And it was kind of that final third and the finishing touch that was really missing for them to actually create the the decent chance. But um, obviously game over when Chelsea got the, the second and the third in quick succession. Um, as for their opponents, Brighton, I mean, it's still not quite happening for them. They've they've been a little bit unfortunate, as as we've said, and, and you said the InfoGoal model really likes them. Um, they had a chance to get some confidence going with a, a win against Sheffield United. And like you said, there was high XG figures put up over three expected goals, but one, it was against 10 men for, for almost half the game. And two, a lot of that came very late on where they were sort of throwing the kitchen sink and had all their attacking outlets on the on the pitch, but um, we can't keep talking up their process. They do need to start getting results as well. And although they're on the road here, the odds make it a close one, 40% win probability for West Ham, 31% for Brighton and a a 29% chance of the draw. The goals market is at 2.5 and it's one where betters are actually leaning towards the under for this at the moment. So what do you make here, Jake? Is there, is there value in terms of the one X two or, or is it one where you'd look towards the goals market? Yeah, I'm going to be looking at the goals market for this one. Um, but price is spot on. I think it's a fair reflection. I think these two teams, you put them on a neutral ground. I do think that West Ham are marginal favourites, um, which is what the, the market is suggesting. Um, yeah, I, I think that we could see goals here. I think that's the um, you know the, the conclusion that I'm coming to. I think the um, the processes of both teams suggest that goals. Could well flow. Uh, West Ham averaging 1.5 expected goals for per game, allowing 1.5 expected goals for per game uh, against per game. Sorry, and Brighton are, are averaging 1.6 expected goals for per game and allowing 1.2 expected goals against per game. So, yeah, we are seeing um, two teams that, that create chances and also concede them. Um, over two and a half comes into play for sure. That's a decent price at around 1.92, 1.93. Um, model makes that a little bit shorter at about one point. 
um, eight nine. So there's small value there in, in back in the over two and a half. Um, but yes, yeah, I think this is a big game for Brighton more than anything because the last two matches they played against Fulham and Sheffield United have been against direct rivals, and it, it almost feel like Graham Potter went into those two two games trying not to lose as opposed to really taking the game to to those teams, which is a little bit disappointing given the way that they have been playing at the start of the season. So. Um, yeah, this is a it's a decent opportunity again for them to get something, and just a weird quirk that, that West Ham haven't actually beaten Brighton since they came into the Premier League. Uh, Brighton have won three times, and, and we've seen three draws. All three have been um, have seen both teams score, and, and two of them have seen over four, over three and a half goals. So, tends to be goals. Um, obviously, I'm not a massive fan of the recent head to head records, and in, when it comes to betting, because so many things can change, but. Um, from a process standpoint, yeah, we should see quite an open game. And, um, you, you know, you made a point. I, I thought West Ham were, the scoreline was harsh on them on Monday um, against Chelsea. They did look a little bit tired, though, and a little bit idealist going forward, which is a, is a bit of an issue. Um, I think they're missing a couple of players as well. Mikel Antonio is obviously a massive miss, um, even though Sebastian Haller has been playing quite well. But, you know, on, on the whole, I, I think that they'll they'll see this Brighton back line as being quite vulnerable and, and they should be able to take a um, take the opportunity to exploit that, whether that be through set pieces or on the counter attack. We saw Sheffield United create a few decent chances on the counter attack at the weekend. So yeah, there's plenty of different avenues I can see uh, both of these teams scoring. Um, so back in the over two and a half is is the way I'm going to go in this one. And um, yeah, it's a small value play. Hopefully, it's going to be an entertaining game. Well, just a couple of games left for for this game week, and the next one's Liverpool versus West Brom. And I think if there's there's one place Sam Allardyce wouldn't want to go after a three 0 defeat in his first game. It's it's away to Liverpool and a. a Are you little... sure about that? <laughs> Do you know who's little... the last manager to win at Anfield? Oh, it is. It was at Allardyce at Palace. That's right. Yeah. There you go. Well, Sixty-five can... games ago in the Prem, he's the last he manager to beat Liverpool at Anfield. The uh, the seven nil defeat they've just suffered. <laughs> But I mean, Liverpool, look, they've, they've looked good all season. We had that weird game against Villa. But uh, apart from that, it's been pretty smooth sailing. I think they had the, the draw against Brighton recently. But even again, then there was sort of the, the disallowed goals and stuff like that. But West Brom have, have really struggled. I think you said they're 80 or 90% chance that they go down. It's, it's really easy to see why. By, by far the, the worst attacking process in the league at 0.68 expected goals for per game. Um, also the worst defence in the league um, in terms of conceding chances. They're, they're conceding at a rate of 2.12 expected goals a game. It's a matchup of, look, we've got the the likely title winners against the team that will probably finish rock bottom or, or thereabouts. And the odds reflect exactly that. 1.139 for Liverpool, um, 9.49 for the draw and 22.17 for West Brom. So uh, an 85% win probability for Liverpool. It's 11% chance of a draw and, and about 4 or 5% chance for West Brom. The goals market is is pretty evenly split on this one at 3.5. So he was the last man to do it then, Jake. So I'm <laughs> guessing there's, there's value in taking a, a Sam Allardyce-led West Brom win here against Liverpool. Am I right? Mm, no, no. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> um, yeah, in Liverpool are priced pretty much um, as we expected. I guess the only surprising thing, just going a little bit off topic, is that the market is suggesting that Liverpool have the same percentage chance of beating West Brom as Manchester City do of beating Newcastle. Um, 
yeah, I, I just, I'm just working that out in my head. We make Liverpool a slightly better team than Manchester City. Um, and Newcastle, obviously, a better team than West Brom. So that p- potentially suggests that Newcastle are maybe underestimated in that game or maybe Manchester City are still being overestimated. But um, yeah, Liverpool, they're our title favourites. We're giving them around a 59% chance of lifting the, the Premier League title, which I think is value. Um, I've not recently looked at the outright market as to what the prices are, but I think Liverpool have just gone marginally odds on. Um, so the, the, the 59% suggests that if you can get around a 1.9 price, that, that you would be in uh, for a decent chunk of value there. So yeah, they, they, they look really good. Um, they absolutely dismantled Crystal Palace. I know Palace got in, in some decent positions early on in that in that first half, but as soon as the goals went in, the first one anyway, sort of game over and, and Liverpool really, really turned on the style. And to be honest, it was a result that they needed, um, not so much for confidence, but more for goal difference, because after that 7-2 drubbing that they suffered at, at Aston Villa, their goal difference was um, you know quite inferior to their rivals. And now they've got a goal difference of plus 17, which I think is um, is up there as, as the best in the league now. So um, they're in a strong position in terms of obviously points and now in terms of goal difference. Uh, and that's goal difference is, is a fair reflection of the kind of levels that they've shown over the course of the season, which have been um, really exceptional. And uh, it's just worth highlighting that their home process is um, phenomenal. Uh, 2.46 expected goals for per game, allowed 1.04 expected goals against per game so far at home this season, which is uh, by far and away the best home process in the Premier League. Um, and yeah, they're, they're boasting a 65-game unbeaten home run at Anfield in the league, which is um, you know staggering if you try and work that out in your head. I think it works out to around uh, 3.7 seasons, something like that, in which they've, they're yet to, they've not lost in in the Premier League, which, which is, you know, it's, that's a staggering um, number of games. Um, and they've done probably 0.7 of that season uh, without fans as well, which shows you that potentially home advantage is not, you know, all the be all and end all uh, when it comes to fans being in the stadium. That's a debate for another day. Um, but yeah, West Brom, they've, they've faced a massive uphill, massive uphill task here um, when playing away from home. They very rarely threaten 0.5 expected goals, four per game um, on their travels. Obviously went to the Manchester City and snatched a draw um, in what turned into Slavin Bilic's final game in charge. But yeah, they, they could have lost that game three, four, any number really. Manchester City created enough chances at the back end of that game to, to really deserved the three points. It was only some Sam Johnston heroics that that denied them that. And he's going to have to be at his best here if they are to get anything at all. Um, defensively, they, as you mentioned, they, they've been all over the shop this this season. And I guess um, probably hard to judge Allardyce on last week's game, given the fact that they played on, uh, was it Tuesday or Wednesday, and then played again on the Sunday. So um, they didn't really have too much time to work on the training ground. This time around, they've had pretty much a week, or they will have had a week to... For, for Allardyce and, and Sammy Lee to drill in what he calls his um, avoiding relegation principles. So it, we could see a, an upturn from West Brom um, in the near future. They need to see an upturn in terms of process if they are to start picking up results, but I can't see it happening here. And um, Although I don't think that Liverpool will run up seven um, on this West Brom, t- Brom team, and unless there's a, a sending off again. Um, but yeah, looking at this, under 3.5 is making a bit of appeal. Um, I think you said there that the market's split pretty evenly on that line. Um, we make it a very strong play, 62% chance of under 3.5 goals. So, um, yeah, I can see Liverpool winning 2-0, 3-0 quite comfortably. And given the congested schedule, if they go 2-0 up, I think that Klopp will ring the changes and um, tell his team to take the foot off the gas, which is something they did so effectively last season. 
Avoiding relegation principles. I'm sure that's absolutely thrilling stuff, isn't it? <laughs> Do you not remember he was on the uh, Monday Night Football? Was yeah. it last season? They listed them all down like a bullet point, like he was a uh, like he was a college tutor. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's uh, let's get on to our final game in in Wolves versus Tottenham, and I mean one where there was a lot of talk of of Tottenham title contenders and and sort of how good they'd been going forward, and then complete shift in intact in that and there's a lot of sort of criticism of, of Jose Mourinho's style and, and very sort of defensive first especially in the big games and obviously the, the sort of outperformance or overperformance of Harry Kane and, and Hyun Ming Son has, has dropped away that they're, they're now in sixth and which is it's kind of where they deserve to be based on on expected goals and the expected points on info goal um, they're playing a Wolves team that have I mean, they've they've dropped away this season compared to where they were at last season. There's a lot of things feeding into that. I think they've they've actually sold Doherty to to Tottenham, and how important that's been, I don't really know. And <laughs> he's barely kicked a ball for Spurs. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But I mean, Jimenez as well. It's one that it's a couple of games ago now he was obviously ruled out, and the the they were struggling before that as well. And the, in the game against Burnley, did that they, they went with Pedence and, and Neto, I think, up top and. It's difficult for them. I think it's kind of treading water until January when they can maybe bring some some reinforcements in and, and try and strengthen a little bit. But this would have been down as a, a re- really good game last season, the season before. You're looking at sort of sixth, fifth, uh, fourth in the table, that sort of bracket, whereas now Wolves have dropped out a little bit from that. Um, in terms of the odds, they're, they're quite a big price considering they're at home and, and Tottenham have, have kind of struggled a bit of late. Uh, Wolves are 3.18. Um, the draw is 3.32 and, and Tottenham are 2.18. So in terms of your percentages, um, that's 28% on Wolves, 29% on the draw um, and sort of around 42, 43% for Tottenham. It's also interesting to see the goals mark has dropped down to, to 2 and 2.5 was actually the it's, it's the lowest of, of all the games of uh, in the Premier League for, for this game week. And um, betters are even still taking the under on that. So people buying into this idea that that Mourinho is struggling to to get things going in an attacking sense. What do you think, Jake? Are, are Tottenham going to bounce back? Is Mourinho going to prove the doubters and we're going to see a big convincing win here or, or will it more be a, a tactical battle, do you think? Yeah, very much the latter. Uh, two Portuguese coaches going head to head. Both teams, very uh, sorry, both managers more very pragmatic in the way that they'd like to set their teams up. And um yeah, you, you said it there. Spurs haven't really looked um, very good in attack ever since the the international break. Really, the, the last international break was the uh, was the turning point. I think the the issue I have with Spurs is that while they've got these good results against the likes of um, Manchester City, Chelsea, Arsenal, etc., they haven't been able to shift back from that counter attacking style to to the the team that was creating and playing on the front foot in the first seven or eight games in the season. Um, I think. Up until the Manchester City game, Spurs were averaging um, around uh, just over 2.2 expected goals per game, I think. Um, and since that, it's really taken a nosedive. I think they, they've re- uh, 0.68 against Manchester City, 0.19 against Chelsea, 0.31 against Arsenal, 1.21 against um, Crystal Palace. The best performance, actually, in the last six matches has come against Liverpool. Uh, they went to Anfield and actually won the XG battle, which is not something that happens um, very often, but in that six-game period where um, where they have been playing more on the back foot and trying to counter-attack, they've created just 0.8 expected goals for per game, which is um, you know a, pretty much 
well, it's more than halved um, their expected goals for total of the first eight matches. So it to me, it looks as though they've they've shifted to play in a more defensive manner to play on the counter-attack against the better teams, but they haven't been able to shift back um, to playing on the front foot against teams that do like to sit back against them, which effectively is what Leicester tried to do or were happy to do and what Crystal Palace um, would have been happy to do. And, and Tottenham in that game got a 1-0 lead and, and then sat back and camped for 87 minutes before trying to score a winner after that. So it, it, they're a strange team to figure out, Tottenham. Um, they have the capabilities to blow Wolves away, but they also have the capabilities to you know, lose this game and, and it not seem like a, you know, a, a really off result. Um, I think Wolves, they have um, recently switched back to, to a three at the back, which I think is, is going to help them moving forward. Um, it definitely worked against Chelsea in, in, in a game in which they won 2-1. Chelsea struggled to deal with Wolves' counter-attack on that occasion. I think that's where Pedro Neto scored his winner from. Um, so, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how Spurs set up to deal with Wolves because we know what Wolves are going to do. They're going to sit, play as a back five, uh, they've got two really good ball players in midfield, and and you know they've they've got the likes of Traore, Neto, Pedens, who they can call upon, um, or Fabio, or uh, yeah, the, the young boy Fabio Silva, who scored the penalty the other night. They've they've got they've got some decent attacking players. It's just about getting them service, and um, yeah, I, I can see this being quite a dull game. I think the the um, the styles are very similar in how these two teams want to play. Um, but I just think that Wolves are massively overpriced. Um, the Inficom model, we've got these two teams very closely rated um, on our on our XG ratings. Um, we've got Spurs marginally better than Wolves, but Wolves with the home advantage are actually coming out as favourites on our model to win this game. So we're giving them a 37% chance of winning. So they're a massive value bet in this game to, to get the three points. They've got decent results against so-called big teams recently as well, beating Chelsea and obviously beating Arsenal. Um, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they got the scalp of Spurs as well. Spurs obviously have been struggling and um, away from home. They've they've conceded quite a few good chances, 1.55 expected goals against per game. You compare that to Wolves' home form, um, where they've averaged 1.28 expected goals for per game, allowed just 1.17 expected goals against per game. So Wolves are a strong home team. Spurs are a vulnerable away team. Um I think the first goal is going to be crucial in this game because whoever gets it is going to sit back um, and invite the pressure. So it could well be a case of uh, a first goal wins. Um, but I think I think Wolves are, are slightly overpriced in this. Whether you just want to back them to, to avoid defeat, that would also be a value bet. But I'm happy to take Wolves to win in the 1x2 market, to be honest. I think that they've got enough about them to get the three points. And then the goal line is, is understandably low. Um, and that's a, another value bet that I'd happily get on board with under 2.5 goals. Well, that is it for our, our game week 15 fixtures. It's it's now time to sit back and enjoy your Christmas dinner and, and wait for the games to get underway. I appreciate the time as always, Jake. Thanks for coming on and, and sharing some of that expert insight and in terms of your analysis of the games. And, and of course, I, I wish you a Merry Christmas and I'll, I'll speak to you very soon. Thanks, Ben. Likewise, have a good one. And thank you to everyone for listening. If you do want to take your analysis to the next level and, and look at some of the data that we've discussed in more detail, then remember to visit infogold.net, download the Infogold app on iOS and Android and follow at Infogold app on Twitter. You'll also get plenty of help with your predictions by following at Pinnacle on Twitter and, and reading some of the articles that can be found on the, the betting resources section of the Pinnacle website. All of the odds for, for the upcoming action is available on pinnacle.com. Best of luck with, with your bets and remember to always gamble.